joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Mike, good morning. How are you? Doing great. How are you guys today? Doing good. Uh, you know, gearing up for what could be a season uh, devoid of a lot of winning here in Arizona. But we wanted to start with some off the field stuff with you, and always appreciate uh, your, your blend of knowledge when it comes to the legalities and illegalities of what happens in the NFL. But this Terry McDonough accusation of gross misconduct by Michael Bidwell, we know all about it. We got the testimony uh, through the deposition from Steve Wilkes last week that says, "Yeah, Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell knew about these." burner phones in fact they were they were in on the whole thing um and you know going down the road a little bit mike in terms of uh what the nfl might do in terms of punishment for protecting the integrity of the game how do you view that what are the possibilities right now as you see them the NFL's entire apparatus when it comes to off-field issues like this integrity of the game investigations and punishment it's all driven by pr and In many of these cases, the NFL only does something when it feels like it has to, when there's enough of a groundswell, when there's enough questions, enough criticism, that the league can't just look the other way and say nothing to see here and brush it all under the rug and move on. And I think in most cases, that's what the NFL would be inclined to do. That's exactly what they tried to do with the Daniel Snyder situation a couple of years ago until they were forced to do something more with it. So what this all comes down to is – how big of a deal it becomes now that the cat is out of the bag and the proof is in the pudding that Michael Bidwell, as alleged by Terry McDonough and confirmed by Steve Wilkes, was indeed directing them and others to communicate with Steve Kahn while Steve Kahn was suspended. Not that it made a difference. They were still the worst team in the NFL that year. But the question is, are you going to enforce your rules or are you not going to enforce your rules? Now, I know the Cardinals deny it. And they'll have an opportunity at the appropriate time to prove it. The question is, when does the NFL press the Mary Jo White bat signal? That's the thing that Michael Bidwell needs to be the most concerned about. Because once the NFL did that with Snyder, it's like having your taxes audited for one reason. And then they show up and they find something else. And I think most of these owners don't want to have a Mary Jo White poking around the organization, finding this, finding that, finding this, finding that. And the next thing you know, you're selling the team. That's what Michael Bidwell needs to be concerned about. This thing reaching a critical mass where Roger Goodell feels compelled to appoint Mary Jo White to go in and start poking around. Now, I personally think there's already enough reason for him to do it, but he's not going to do it unless he feels like, there's sufficient public pressure to do it because they don't like to air their dirty laundry out. They don't like to have to tell the world we've got corruption in one of our member teams, because if you do that enough times, that's when people like congressmen or prosecutors start getting very curious about how much other corruption is floating around with other teams that they don't know about. Good stuff. Now, according to uh, the Cardinals, what Steve Wilkes provided in a deposition, they de- they deemed it inadmissible because they did not have a chance to cross-examine Steve Wilkes. Is it your understanding that that cross-examining is going to happen at some point, or is it just never going to happen? What 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 are, What's the legalities of all that? What's the implications of that? I can't imagine that there would have been a pre-hearing deposition at which the Cardinals wouldn't have had a chance to question Steve Wilkes. And it's entirely possible they had an amount of time allocated last Friday. And when the people questioning Wilkes on behalf of McDonough passed the witness to the Cardinals, they said, let's just do this another day. The idea, though, 
that we should just pretend Wilkes never even gave that testimony because they haven't had a chance to cross-examine him? It's ludicrous. I mean, what are they going to do, browbeat him until he says he was lying about everything? They're going to hope for some sort of a Jack Nicholson moment where he yeah. crashes under the pressure of Tom Cruise <laughs> and says, you're damn right I'm lying. And it's stupid. It's stupid. But that's all they have. They don't want to address the merits. So much of what happens in sports mirrors what happens in politics today. And I'm not taking a political viewpoint here. I'm just saying when people don't want to address the merits of something, they complain about something else. Oh, we didn't get a chance to cross-examine him. It's inadmissible. So he didn't say it. He didn't say it under oath. It just goes away. And, and I think the more they fight and the more they push and the more attention people give to it and just start saying, you know, this is kind of weird. Like the way they've handled this whole McDonough thing is weird, dating back to the statement they issued, attacking him personally on irrelevant matters in a way that I thought was unbecoming to the team and unbecoming to the league. The more this keeps going, the greater the chance that button's going to be pressed and Mary Jo White's going to show up and she's going to maybe find something that takes the whole house down. And frankly, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I don't know that I'm necessarily rooting against that. I know it creates some short-term turmoil, but you can change players, you can change coaches, you can change general managers. You can't change owners unless they choose to change themselves out. And for some of these teams that are perpetually not contenders, a new owner may be all the difference between – a team that isn't good and a team that is good. And if you want to see how happy that can make a fan base, just look at what happened with the commanders a month or so ago. Look at what happened to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, our guest here on the uh, Arizona Sports Line. One of the things the Cardinals have going for them, uh, looking to the future from a competitive standpoint, is how Monty Austin Ford handled things on draft night to, to set this team up, which is going to be a lean year, as we as we established. But you know, they got some draft picks, some draft capital. There's a lot of Cardinal fans, Mike, that are worried maybe uh, whatever penalties uh, you know, are the result of this investigation, or whatever you want to call it, would be the forfeiture of draft picks. How worried should Cardinal fans be about that? I wouldn't worry about that for now. Look, the commanders never lost a draft pick over all the Snyder stuff. And we're five years out from the burner phones. I I just, I don't think it would be high draft picks if something like that happened. This isn't spy gate, deflate gate level. I don't believe, but, but we'll see. And I, I, I guess it's worth at least having it on your radar screen. But I'd be surprised if something like that happened, especially if it happened quickly enough that it comes to a conclusion before next April. Look how long Mary Jo White had the Dan Snyder investigation. It was 18 months. Now, I think part of it was the NFL didn't want her to finalize it until they were landing the plane on selling the team. So there are all sorts of motivations go into when someone you hire to do an investigation is going to return the report to you. But I think it's premature to worry about that. I'd be more worried about Caleb Williams either staying at USC for another year or saying to the Cardinals, you can draft me, but I'm never going to play for you. Yeah, that's, that's, I'd be more worried about that than losing the draft. Yeah, that that that's, that is interesting, and it leads me to to my question about Kyler Murray. There was a report from Mike Lombardi that he doesn't think Kyler Murray is going to touch the field this year because of some because uh, of the fear of injury guaranteeing the contract. I had not heard that before. I, I'm curious how you think all that folds into what we're watching here because it does seem like a lot of people now are throwing around the tanking word at the Cardinals. Well, I don't have the contract in front of me, but it's entirely possible that Kyler Murray has money this year. Well, money that as of this year into next year and beyond is guaranteed for injury. 
but it's not fully guaranteed until next year. But if it's currently guaranteed for injury and he suffers an injury and he can't pass a physical by the time it becomes fully guaranteed, it's fully guaranteed. It's the reason why the Colts kind of clumsily sent Matt Ryan to the bench early last year and said he was benched for the rest of the year. They were basically putting him in bubble wrap so his injury guarantees wouldn't fully vest. It's why the Raiders sent Derek Carr home with a couple of weeks left. We know we're done with him. If he suffers an injury and he can't pass a physical by right after the Super Bowl, we can't cut him, which is what they ultimately did. That's what the concern would be. It all comes down to the structure of the contract. And look, are the Cardinals tanking? Well, they're either doing it on purpose or they're just not competent. And I think it's a combination of both. The one thing for me that really told me they don't care about this year was when they cut DeAndre Hopkins just a couple of days before June 2nd, and if they would have just waited a couple of days, they would have split the $22 million cap charge between this year and next year. They could have kept $11 million around just in case somebody comes available at the trade deadline, just in case somebody comes available just before the season. Kind of like what Aaron Rodgers did by reducing his contract and creating $10 million or so in extra cap space for the Jets. Hey, we've got some flexibility now if an opportunity arises. By basically taking that cap space out of their pocket and throwing it to next year and not even having it in hand, they don't want that flexibility. They don't want the temptation. They don't want the pressure from the media and the fan base to go out there and grab a guy that might help them win a couple of games down the stretch and maybe get the seventh seed. And when you accept the fact that you're really not a playoff contender, this is the problem with the entire way the NFL is set up. It creates a temptation. We're not going to play, make the playoffs anyway. Who cares if we're six and eleven, or five and twelve, or four and thirteen, or three and fourteen, or one and sixteen? It doesn't matter. So we may, may as well be as bad as we can, so we can get the best possible pick the next year in the draft. Yeah, Mike, great stuff. Uh, thanks so much yeah, for joining you, us. Brother. As always, we appreciate it.